0: You're listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with your host, Small Dojo, Big Profits author, Mike Massey. Remember to go to martialartsbusinessdaily.com slash podcast for show notes, transcripts, links to martial arts business resources, and more. Now here's your host, Mike Massey.
1: Hey, everyone out there in the Martial Arts Business Nation and the Small Digital Big Profits Tribe. This is Mike Nassy coming back at you once again with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. So. What do I have in store for you today? Well, this week I have an interview with a good friend of mine, Tom Whitaker. Tom is a school owner from Collinsville, Illinois. We were good buddies in high school. We were running buddies, actually. And uh, we met in a local karate studio or at a local karate studio where I was the senpai. And and, uh, Tom came in. He had a lot of boxing and taekwondo experience, and we hit it off really well. And uh, we became fast friends. So I've known Tom for many, many years. And uh, we were close buddies all the way throughout high school. And then after high school, we kind of went our separate ways. He went one direction. I went another. But we both ended up becoming school owners. And uh, over the years, you know, Tom has really grown and evolved as a school owner. He's become very successful in his school. He is a co-owner of school with his wife, Missy. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him how they run their studio. And moreover, how they get the majority of their leads and new students in their school. So I don't want to spoil it for you before the interview starts, but uh, I think you're going to want to take notes on this one. This is one of those interviews where uh, the the person I interview is dropping a lot of knowledge. And uh, I think it's something that you're really going to want to cue in on, especially if you're struggling to get uh, new members in your studio. And also, (laughs) even more so, if you're trying to use online marketing methods and you're still struggling, so uh, that's what's coming up later in the show. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, an observation that I made this week, actually last night. Um, I, I just started, uh, you know, teaching these Kramaga classes a couple of weeks ago in our new hometown, and uh, my students are just getting to the point where they're ready to do a fight class, uh, which is basically an introduction to sparring class for beginners. So we started doing that on Wednesday nights, and we're having fun with it. I have mostly ladies in my program, which is fine. Um, I actually like having more ladies than men in my classes simply because, I, you know, to me, um, they're easier to teach self-defense to because they don't come with any preconceptions. It's just a, you know, it's like my firearm instructors say, you know, when they'd rather teach women than men because the women come into class without preconceptions. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, but they are coming along really well. And it, what what I found interesting was, is that these ladies uh, continually get frustrated in class, in the sparring class, because they're not able to grasp the material as quickly as they think they should? And what they don't realize is they're actually learning at an accelerated rate. Um, the way that I'm teaching that class is is allowing them to learn the the basic, uh, the fundamentals of, of sparring very, very quickly. And it's a it's a uh, a method that I developed um, over the years, and a lot of it's based on Bert Richardson's material. He has really, really good material for helping people um, accelerate their learning. Uh, uh, you know, as far as learning how to how to spar and doing it safely. So I base a lot of it on his stuff. But I was talking to them last night to try to encourage them, and I told them that you know the thing is, and we're just working on boxing skills right now. But I said, you know, boxing is a relatively simple art or sport there are very few techniques, you know, you have, you know, a few basic punches, you have some footwork, you have some upper body movement, some head movement, and then learning how to put that together in combinations. I said, but the thing is, because it's so simple, it is deceiving in the sense that it's actually a very complex and subtle pursuit. Um, it's, I compared it to chess. You know, there are only a few moves in chess. You only have a few types of pieces. You only have a few moves. You know, you've only got so many spaces on the board, but you can spend a lifetime learning the subtleties and the intricacies of chess. And, uh, I told them, I said, you know, boxing's the same way. And it, you know, it's going to take a while for you to get comfortable. But then eventually what I told them was, I said, eventually, you know, a couple of months down the road, you're going to come in class one day and you're going to spar. And all of a sudden, everything's going to click for you that day. And uh, you're just gonna, you're just going to wonder what happened. You know, all of a sudden things are clicking. And I said, and probably you'll come in the next class, and things aren't clicking so well. And you're going to be chasing that feeling for the next couple of months. I said, that's just the way it is. It's just the way learning works. And you know, it occurred to me last night as uh, as I was looking at some posts on Facebook from uh, from members of our mabusyu.com community that. Running a martial arts school is similar to that learning experience or, you know, that learning process in the sense that there's not a lot to learn how to do in running a martial arts school. It's a relatively simple business. It is not a complicated business. You only have to do a few things and do them well to have a successful martial arts school. Number one, you have to make sure that you keep your overhead low. That's what I cover in Small digital Big Profits. That's the the main principle of the Small digital Big Profits approach to running a martial arts school is to keep your overhead low and your profits high. The second thing is, is you need to be able to attract new students. So you need to learn how to market. The third thing you need to learn how to do is you need to learn how to retain those students. You got to learn how to keep them for the long haul. The fourth thing is you got to make sure you get your money on time. And that used to be complicated. and It's not anymore. It's very, very simple with modern technology. And then after that, you have to make sure that you get the most out of what you have, that you maximize your profits. Now, I know I mentioned that in the beginning. Keeping your overhead low is one way to maximize your profits, but it's not the only way. And uh, I cover a lot of those uh, those methods and the profit boosting principles, which is a book that's available on Amazon.com. But there there really there's not a whole lot of stuff that you need to know to run a successful martial arts school. You know, you've just got to be able to make sure that your your profit margins are are decent. You know that you keep good profit margins, that you get new students on a regular basis, and that you keep those students and you you are able to <laughs> collect your money on time. That's about it. And other than a little bit of bookkeeping and stuff that uh, you can handle with a bookkeeper or CPA, then there really aren't a lot of moving parts. But the thing is, in a martial arts school, you can learn those things and you can know those things, but not necessarily have them mastered. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of martial arts instructors out there, they struggle because they know so much, but they don't have a, a unified approach for implementing what they know because they picked up a little bit here and a little bit there. And they've learned a little bit from this person, a little bit from that organization, a little bit from this magazine and so forth. And they don't really have a unified approach. And I think that that hurts them. And that's something that happened to me um, when I was coming up doing boxing and kickboxing because I'd train at one kickboxing gym and then another boxing gym. And each coach had a different approach to fighting. And, you know, I never really developed a unified approach to sparring. And until later when I trained under a particular instructor who helped me out quite a bit. But the thing is, is that, uh, without that unified approach, um, that ability to take everything that I learned and really put it together into a system, you know, I was pretty lost in, in, in the sparring ring. So being a martial arts school is a lot like that. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because next week's podcast and, and the article I'm going to release next week deals with this, um, Issue specifically, this issue, this challenge that martial arts instructors have. So, I'm going to talk about that a lot more next week, but I just want you to think about that. If you're struggling in your martial arts school, it's going to take you, if you really, you know, study a single unified system for running a martial arts school and stick with one single unified system, no matter whose it is, you just got to find somebody that you click with that has had some success in the past. If you stick with a single unified system, it's going to take you about maybe two to three years roughly two to three years to get that system down pat to implement it in your own studio, to be familiar with it enough through running it day in and day out over the course of a couple of years for you to be able to do those things automatically and for your school to be not only financially successful, but also, you know, just humming along on all eight cylinders. So, If you're struggling, and you've been struggling for a long time, for longer than two to three years, I suggest that you go back to basics and pick a single unified system or approach to running a martial arts school and study it in detail and implement it it completely. Not uh, piecemeal, but completely. And stick with it for a couple of years. And I think what you'll find is is just within a few months of doing that, I think you're going to see a lot of improvement in your studio okay, so that's all I had to say to uh, introduce the show today. This interview with Tom is really long it 's about forty five minutes, so i don't want the show to run over an hour so i'm going to cut off here, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy this interview, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it so uh, you know if you have to take notes, um, you know pull out your uh, your iPad and, and get note ready or whatever. But, uh, you know, try to glean as much as you can from this interview because it's going to be a really good one for you guys, and that's it. So, without further ado, here's my interview with uh, my good friend, Tom Whitaker. Hey, everybody out there in the Martial Arts Business Nation and the Small dojo Big Profits Tribe. This is Mike Massey coming at you once again with another interview for the Martial Arts Business Podcast. Now, today on the podcast, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Tom Whitaker. He is a school owner from Collinsville, Illinois, and uh, Tom and I go way back. We actually... uh, Met in high school when at uh, at a karate studio, a local karate school in uh, in our hometown of Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, Tom and I have known each other for years. We were close buddies uh, back in the day, and and uh, had a lot of fun running around together and and getting in a lot of trouble. Um, when uh, I split, you know, from our hometown and went off and and uh, started doing schools, you know, after I got out of the service, you know, starting schools at a young age. And and Tom kind of took a different route. He got into doing nightclub security and. We uh, reconnected years later and Tom had approached me and said, Hey, I want to get out of DO Nightclub Security, you know, do you mind if I come up and check out your school and you know, see how you run it because I'd like to start my own school. So Tom was really kind of the first guy that I kind of clued in, you know, did a little bit of coaching to, you know, help get a school started, although it wasn't much in the way of coaching, basically just came up, watched how I did things, asked some questions, and then he was off and, you know, to the races. But uh, now Tom's come a long way. Uh, his school, well, I'm not going to tell him many students he has because I'm going to let him tell you that story. But uh, he has a very successful school. He's been, uh, he's been running schools for years. He's been through a lot of ups and downs in the industry, a lot of, uh, you know, things that a lot of school owners have experienced. And he's still come out on top. Um, he runs a school with his wife, Missy. Missy is actually a school manager now. And, uh, you know, together as a team, they've been really, really successful. They're doing really, really well for themselves. And what's interesting is Tom is not one of these guys that really is into a lot of the more modern marketing methods that a lot of people have jumped on. To me, he's more of an old school guy. Now, I'm going to let him tell you about how he markets his uh, his programs and how they do the majority of their marketing. But I think some of you people out there are going to find that the things he's going to tell you are going to be a bit surprising based on what you might have heard recently in the martial arts industry about how some of the bigger schools and the more successful schools are getting the majority of their students. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Um, now, let's just uh, so, you know give some background to people out there. Obviously, I know you know most of your most of your background. Probably some stuff you wouldn't want the public to know. But uh, <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me, how long have you been involved
2: in the martial arts? Uh, if if you consider boxing as martial art, which I do, and I think most of of the industry is now recognizing uh, the hand skills of boxing is also a martial art. I've been involved since I was about 10 years old. I'm 44 now, so uh, coming up on on 34, 35 years in the martial arts industry. Yeah, so um, so you started Barksman and you actually did silver gloves as a kid, right? Uh, No, I didn't. I I didn't get involved with with the gloves tournaments until I became an adult. I did some other uh, tournaments in St. Louis, uh, the ABC tournament and... uh, and some things like that when I was a kid, though.
1: Yeah, I just remember you coming into the the karate class where I was like the senpai, and and uh, I remember you had a good jab starting off. So ate that jab quite a bit actually. <laughs> um, so um, tell me about a uh, little bit about your background as a martial artist. I know you've you've uh, you know trained in several different martial arts systems. You've done a lot of uh, boxing and kickboxing. So just kind of give some of your background so the people out there know uh, kind of what you're all about.
2: Well, I, I started martial arts when I was 10 because uh, I was bullied, and. Uh, uh, I didn't like running away, but I also couldn't fight very well, so it was a really bad combination, (laughs) Yeah. uh, so, uh, I got, got involved with boxing, and, uh, you know, through Bruce Lee movies, things like that, I I was always interested in martial arts, and, and then when I was in middle school, I I actually, I I had a guy who, who kind of picked a fight with me, and he had really good kicks, he was a Taekwondo guy, and, uh, uh i I got tired of getting kicked in the ribs by him and i thought hey i need to learn how to do this so i I got into martial arts and uh took some traditional arts taekwondo some uh, traditional japanese arts which is where we met and then uh it was actually you who who, uh, first introduced me to kickboxing after you you came back from a a summer uh i think you said in denver and uh, it became a passion so i started kickboxing did some knife fighting and uh Then just got involved with, uh, with, uh, doing security in in nightclubs and, uh, kind of started finding out really, you know, I mean, I'd been in street fights and things like that in high school, but it was totally different as an adult and especially in that industry, finding out kind of things that worked and things that didn't work and, uh, you know, And that's what what finally led me to, to what I teach now, which is Krav Maga, because uh, the things I'd already found out in the nightclub industry, I found out, or uh, are, are I, I heard and saw being done in, in Krav Maga when I started taking uh, some Krav Maga seminars and, and things like that. And Krav is kind of your your
1: bread and butter for you right now, right? Not necessarily yes, yes it is. Not necessarily what brings in most of the income in your school, but it's a big part of what you teach in your school. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, now it's interesting because I know you also did. and You didn't. I don't think you mentioned it, but you also um, uh, fought uh, boxing and kickboxing. You were uh, you won the Saint Louis Golden Gloves
2: as an amateur, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And then you were also a pro kickboxer for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was. Uh, I fought both amateur and pro. Uh, uh, did did fairly well. Uh, did really well as an amateur, and uh, did did pretty well as a pro also. Uh, won some title belts uh, as a kickboxer, and uh, uh, yeah, I won the, the St. Louis Golden Gloves Boxing Tournament, and uh, it's still really a, a passion of mine. I train fighters. I I still love to get in and, and spar around with my students, and especially spar around with my fighters, and uh, and now my son's fighting, which is, is kind of cool. I'm, I'm getting him ready for his first fight here in a month.
1: Yeah, and he he kind of he decided to do that on his own, didn't he? You yeah, know? yeah.
2: I, I never uh, I never pushed him to do it. You know, that was my thing, and uh, you know, it, it, it's a tough sport, and didn't really have a strong desire for my son to even really be involved in it. And he's always been involved in athletics, and you know, he's a cross country runner. That seemed to be his thing, and he liked Krav. But uh, he approached me about six months ago and said, "Dad, I want to fight," and. Uh, I asked him why. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you had to get mom's permission too, right? <laughs> oh, my wife, she's 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 totally cool. She worked my corner when I fought. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, she, she's the kind of lady that uh, uh, when I was a fighter, if I came home from, from work and I was tired and didn't want to go to the gym, she would kick my butt out the door and, uh, and uh, say, no, you need to go train. You have a fight coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's
1: funny. I can see your wife doing that. So, uh, so, also you've had a couple of students, I just want to mention this so we can give them recognition, you have a, you've had a couple of students that have actually won some world titles as well,
2: right? Yeah, several, actually, I've, uh, I have, uh, a girl right now, and it's funny because I've had four people win, uh, win world amateur titles, legitimate world amateur titles, through, through large organizations that have large world tournaments with over 300 competitors from around the world, and, uh... Uh, all but one have been females <laughs> wow and the girl i have right now she's doing really really well uh i'll, I'll give her her little plug gabby will because uh, uh she's one of my instructors she's 21 years old she's been with me since she was 11 years old and uh she's won three world titles in, in kickboxing she won the world amateur ringside boxing tournament which is one of the largest uh boxing tournaments uh, in the world aside from, from like, uh, an Olympic tournament or something like that. And uh, she travels with the, the U.S. kickboxing team and has won medals on, on three different continents uh, with the, the U.S. kickboxing team. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: pretty cool. It's always nice to see your students, you know, do well on their own in competition because, you know, as, I guess for me personally as an instructor, when my students did well in competition – those who wanted to compete, I didn't really, you know, encourage people to compete. I just let them decide on their own. Always made me feel like I was doing my job as an instructor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. See the students succeed, so. Well, tell me about um, your school. So the school's located in Collinsville, Illinois, which is um, close to St. Louis, so it's kind of considered a suburb of St. Louis, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. And uh, tell, how many how many
2: active students do you have? Uh, we have just under 300 active students now. Uh uh, my wife enrolled uh, six more students last week, so I, I actually haven't looked at our active uh, student count uh, from last week yet. But as of last week, uh, about midweek, which is usually when I, I run my active student count, uh, we were at 292, I think it so, was.
1: So roughly near that, that Magic 300 right, that the, right. a lot of people, a lot of... A lot of, uh, I guess you could say martial arts uh, business pundits and, and experts say that 300 is kind of that magic number right. that you have to hit to have a solid school. Of course, I, I kind of disagree with that, but I think it's great yeah. to have a school of 300 students. I mean, if that's what you want to do, I think it's awesome. Um, so so what's the breakdown between kids and adults there? What would you say?
2: Rough estimate. Uh, we have probably about 60% kids and uh, 40% adults. Uh, that That's including our fitness programs. Uh, our fitness programs, our crowd program, our our, our kickboxing and fight team program, and then just our, our general kids programs.
1: Okay, so roughly 180 kids and maybe yeah. 110, 120 yeah, adults, yeah, somewhere around there. You know, and actually, it's interesting because
2: that's actually a pretty strong adults program. Yeah, yeah, we we have a, we have a decent number of adults. We we really we run a family school, so we get a large number of our adults. Uh, most of our adults. Uh, our parents of, of kids who are in our program. And you were telling me you do something interesting with
1: the family memberships. So tell, if you don't mind, explain how you do family memberships
2: in your school. Well, we, we want families involved. Uh, my wife and I, we met at a martial arts school uh, over 20 years ago and uh, uh, you know started dating, got married uh, pretty quick after. Martial arts has always been part of our life. She helped me train. She worked my corner when I fought. And help me open the school. So I'm really big on families. So what we do is for for families, we, we charge full price for the first two. And then everyone in the household who lives lives under the same roof can, can train for that price. Uh, so I, I don't do a percentage off of the second person, third person, fourth person. It's just uh, two at full price and then everyone can come train. That's interesting. And, and explain, because you explained
1: this to me last night and you were talking to some of the other guys about it. Actually, it was yesterday at lunch. Uh, we were we were doing a you know, craft seminar that Tom taught all weekend long, me and some other instructors. And uh, so we were sitting there at lunch and
2: Tom was explaining this. So explain why you do that. Families who, who train together, they're more invested in the school and it becomes kind of the place to hang out. And and that really increases retention. Uh uh, I, I have a pretty high retention level with my students. Uh, and I think it's because the, they're all really invested in it. Uh, you, you know, mom mom comes and trains. Dad comes and trains. You know, mom may do fitness. Dad does craft. Maybe they both do. The kids are in the kids' programs. And it becomes their family thing at that point. And, you know, I, I'm not getting money for the, the the third and fourth person. But really I am because... They're sticking with me, they're buying equipment, they're paying belt promotion fees, they're paying seminar fees, you know, so, so I am, am making income off them, but then they're going out and they're telling all their friends too, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it, it's worked well for me, I've done it this way for years, and I just really like the atmosphere uh, that, that I have in the school through this, this whole family concept.
1: And you have a pretty good attrition rate of about five percent, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty decent. I mean, that's a good number to hit five percent attrition for martial arts studio. Um, You know, that's going to keep your school fairly strong and allow you to continue to uh, to either maintain or grow your programs without having to do an excessive amount of student replacement and you know marketing and enrollment and so forth. So, let me ask you a couple other questions about your programs. Do you run an after-school kids program? No, I do not. Yeah, and a lot of schools do, and that's why I asked you that. And, you know, tell me, you know, because you have a lot of kids in your studio, and a lot of times when you see studios that have large kids' programs, they run an after-school kids' program, and that boosts their numbers. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I did it for years. But why did you guys decide not to do after-school pickup?
2: I'll tell you. I I saw a school that did it, and uh, I thought, wow, this is chaos. I don't want to do it. (laughs) 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 then then i i have a a really good friend uh, of mine who who did it for years who doesn't anymore and uh uh, we we used to hang out i would go to his school for a couple weeks come to my school for a couple weeks and i saw the headaches he had with it uh and and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it but i just chose to go a different route and and you know i found that uh uh for for my friend anyway it kind of hindered the martial arts part of his martial arts school and he became more of a daycare and i, I just i didn't want to do that i didn't want the headache of it and uh you know i just thought i i would uh I was into it for a different reason, and if I did that, I wouldn't have fun. And if I wouldn't have fun, I might as well go sit in a cubicle. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I hear you. And, you know, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people enjoy, like especially people who really enjoy working with kids, you know, some of them think it's, it's a good opportunity to, to be able to, to have some students that you have, you know, even more, you know, I guess you could say contact with, and, you know, you can, you know, kind of be a greater influence over them by having an after-school kids program. Um, for me personally, what I found was is it stabilized my income, um, but it does come with a lot of headaches. I'll, I'll admit that. I talk about that in uh, in the after school uh, karate program product that I sell and the summer camp program I sell. But um, you know, it, it definitely has its pros and cons. Uh, you know, school owners that have large after school programs, you know, typically they find that their uh, their income is is a lot more stable throughout the year. But uh, boy, you know, I mean, staffing and <laughs> other issues. <laughs> yeah, you really got to know what you're doing. So I, I I hear you on that on that uh, on that point. So let me ask you this: Do you run summer camps?
2: I do a two-week summer camp. Two now you used to do all summer, right? Yeah, I did. what would you change? I did. It, it was it, it was multiple reasons. Number one, it, it was uh, it was hard. Uh, I found that after three or four weeks, after a month, yeah, really after a month, uh, you know, people weren't having fun anymore. Uh, we we did a, a five-week camp, and then we would break and do another five-week camp, and. Uh, Uh, After the first month, the instructors were getting tired and grouchy. The kids were getting tired and grouchy. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest reason is it really cut into our summertime marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I didn't want to pay a lot of extra staff, we kind of ran it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it hurt my back-to-school because we would lose marketing momentum Mm -hmm. for back-to-school. So last year we cut it down to two weeks. And... It's leaving the kids before they get to that point where they're getting tired of it. it. leaves the instructors before they get to that point. So everyone has a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I, I did a two-week two summer camp last year. This year, I hit my, my cap a lot faster because people, people had a better experience. Mm-hmm. So more kids were wanting to do it. And then last year also, when I got to my back-to-school uh, season... We had one of the best back-to-school seasons as far as enrollments that we had in years, and I think it's because we didn't lose that marketing momentum going into back-to-school.
1: Yeah, you know, for a lot of school owners, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you want to, you know, hit certain enrollment numbers every single month out of the year. But also, you know, enrollments tend to be cyclical in this industry. You know, you have... You know, the big after-school, you know, enrollment period that uh, most schools, most schools enroll, I would say they enroll 50% of the students that they're going to enroll, they will enroll between the months of September and November. And if you miss out on that, that can definitely be devastating to your school. I mean, you can be playing catch-up for six months, eight months, you know, another year, you know, trying to catch up on that. So I, I understand that as well. Now Let's back up a little bit, you know, like I said before, I mentioned before, it seems like you have a really healthy adult program, so what do you think attracts
2: adults to your school? What do you think brings them in? I really think, because of the types of adults we have, we have a lot of parents, it's the family environment, and, uh, you know, and the fact that, that we have a solid Krav Maga program. Uh, uh, you know, so we have a realistic martial arts program, which, which adults are looking for, and, because it's a family atmosphere, it's it's a non-threatening environment for them to come into. It's a supportive environment for them to come into. Uh, you know, adults they want to do something, but the biggest the biggest two fears of adults are injury and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And and I found that you know if a, if an adult makes an appointment for their child, they're they're a lot more likely to show up. We get about fifty percent showing up. Uh, for kids, mm-hmm. for adults, I have maybe 20% showing up who make appointments, you know, from, from call ins or, or, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but when I get them in with their kids and they start watching my adult program and they'll, they'll do it for about a month, you know, and ask questions and, uh, they they feel a lot more comfortable
1: coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, now it's interesting because the way your school's set up, you have your, your floor space split into two classrooms and it basically splits your school down the middle. So explain how you have one side of your school
2: that serves one purpose and another side that serves the other. Well, I have my main floor, uh, which is, is what I call my martial arts side. Uh, and that's where we do the bulk of our martial arts classes. Our, our kids' classes are done over there. Our, our adult Karmagaa classes are done over there. Uh, then we have the other side, which is our fight team and fitness side. And It's it's closed off. You you have to enter it through a doorway, and uh, we have uh, we have a ring in there. We have some hanging bags. We have uh, a a whole uh, wall of dumbbells, um, cage fitness bags, and it's set up as a a place where we do our our fitness classes. The decor is a lot harder core uh, decor, Uh, so you have a lot of boxing posters. Um, uh, you know, ringside banners and, and things versus the martial arts side where you have a lot brighter colors and uh, uh, you know, uh, cleaner looking posters of, of families doing martial arts and kids doing martial arts. So it, it's a totally different feel from one side to the other because it's a totally different purpose from one side to the other. You once said to me that it's almost like having two schools in one, right? It is. It, it's like having two, two, uh, two gyms in one spot. Because uh, we we have our, our our lobby area and our pro shop. Um, when you first walk in, and, and the, the fight team and fitness side uh, is totally closed off. So, so like I say, you, you have to enter through a separate uh, doorway through our pro shop for that. um uh, where our, our martial arts side you just you just kind of walk around and it's all open and big and nice and uh you know so you do you have two gyms in one mm-hmm. and so you feel like maybe keeping the
1: separation between you know where you train your fighters on one side of the school and where you train families on the other side that that's you think that's actually kind of helped
2: retention in a sense oh absolutely absolutely uh you know fighters fitness people uh you know, they, they want they want a little bit more of an aggressive, hardcore atmosphere. You know, you look at the success of, of like, CrossFit and, and places like that, you know, they have a, a harder decor. Um, but then, you know, for, for a kid's martial arts class, or even for an adult Krav Maga class a lot of times, you know, at least with my clientele, because I, I deal with a lot of parents, uh, you know, they're looking for a friendlier-looking atmosphere. So... If someone wants to come in and fight, I give them that atmosphere, and it's separated from, uh, from everyone else. If, if someone wants to, to do you know, kids martial arts, they have that atmosphere, and it's separated from, uh, from the, the other side, and it definitely helps their attention.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting, too, is it. I find that there's this, kind of this interesting dichotomy that you're explaining here. Um, knowing what I know about your school and the way you teach your programs, because uh, you're putting a great deal of emphasis on making families feel comfortable coming in and doing martial arts, but yet I know that your Krav Maga program is still really hardcore. Because I, I know I watched a video of your son's black belt test, um, his his uh, Krav Maga black belt test, and then I know also from this weekend when we ended up, you know, we finished our seminar yesterday. We did a four-hour physical skills test, and, man, that was no joke. I mean, that was, like, really hardcore test. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm pretty much feeling it today. I'm pretty sore. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a hardcore test. I mean, it was, it was a really hard test. And I know that you explained to me that your black belt tests are much harder than that because they're longer and they last. How, your black belt test is how long does it last? It's uh, two days, and it's approximately six hours a day. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, and I also have seen footage of your students, and I know your students, they fight, and they know how to fight. Um, so it's not like you're teaching a watered-down martial arts program. You're actually teaching, you know, what I would call, like, a fighters and a street self-defense martial arts program. But yet, even though you're maintaining those high standards, you're attracting people in because you're making
2: them feel welcome and confident in being in that environment. Yeah, and, and you know, we build them up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh you have to know how to take someone who's, who's a beginner mm-hmm. and start slowly giving them the confidence and ability to be pushed hard. Mm-hmm. And it's knowing how to take someone, and you always push them just just a very, very, very little bit past, past what they think they can do. Uh, and then, you know, the next time you're able to push them just a little bit farther... And over a three to five year period that it takes to get a black belt, uh, you know, they then they're able to handle that, that two day, twelve hour test. Uh, we send them to a, a boot camp preparation for six months prior to their black belt test, where they're, you know, they're, they're just going through a, an hour and a half physical uh, workout with a techniques review mixed in there. Uh, you know, preparing them to to take that black belt test. And then I also open up my black belt test to anyone from white belt all the way through black belt who wants to come in and train uh, during that 12-hour test at any portion of the test. uh, They can, you know, they can work out for a while, sit out for a while, come back during the test just so they're they're involved with it and and starting to build up to that. And then mentally, it's not such a, a... a, uh, a intimidating thing anymore when they get there.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting that you open up your black belt test to everybody from white belt on up. Because in a lot of schools, what you find is you find that the schools develop this kind of like elitist mentality among the people that are black belts are getting ready for black belt, and that uh, you know they kind of exclude those beginner students. Like you know, you're not supposed to be involved in this black belt test because this is just for the advanced students. So, do you think that also kind of helps make those people feel
2: more welcome? Probably so. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a big family. And, uh, you know, we, we do a, a lot of social events with my, with my craft students. Uh, so, you know, when, when it comes to, to even class separations, you know, uh, uh, my, my black belts are allowed to jump in and do the uh, beginning and intermediate Krav uh, class. You know, they, they can jump in and do the workout that help out the the uh, the lower ranked students. Uh, the lower rank students are, are more than, than welcome to, to come to the black belt test and work out with them. And then we have some uh, some mixed training events and you know, and then just fun stuff. Going out and playing paintball, uh, you know, together and uh, and you know it doesn't matter if you're a white belt or a black belt or. Are somewhere in between, you know, you, you, you come out and and you just have fun.
1: Yeah. I think it's important. You talked about a lot this weekend. you you were talking to the instructors that were attending the seminar about how you try to make your school a social center and you believe that that helps improve retention. I think a lot of school owners have discovered that and those that have, I think, uh, I think they find that their schools grow a lot faster. So let's shift gears here for a minute and let's start talking about uh, some, some business aspects. So let's talk about marketing because, in coaching people over the last 10 plus years, I've found that marketing is the one thing that most school owners stumble over. You know, They tend to focus more on curriculum, and uh, sometimes they focus more on operations, and they forget that they have to continually bring in new people to replace the people that will naturally drop out for a variety of reasons no matter what you do. So let's talk marketing. I know you guys market, and you market hard, and, and I found it interesting that you told me this weekend that your goal is really to set six appointments a day that you want your staff to set six appointments a day for intro lessons because that's how you're going to hit your number. So tell me, how do, you guys, how do you guys get those leads? How do you market? And, and let me be more specific than that. Tell me what your top three marketing methods are. You know, basically that 20% of activities that bring in
2: 80% of your leads. My very top uh, method is simply the old... Uh, you know, going back 10, 15 years ago, VIP method. Okay, so we need to explain this because a lot of people don't know what it means to go out and VIP, so explain that. We, uh, we get passes, uh, VIP passes, and, and the, the offer on it will change just depending on, on the, the time of year. It, it might be a free lesson, it might be two free lessons, it might be a free month. But uh, we go out where people are, parks, stores. Uh, uh, you know places like that and and we'll simply go out and hand out passes if someone shows interest if if I hand you a pass and and handing you a pass simple is uh, is saying uh, uh, I I notice you have uh, uh, a five year old Uh, you know i own a martial arts school and we have excellent programs for five year olds and, and we're offering a free month right now so uh, here's a pass, and you know if you're interested, go ahead and give us a call. And I'll walk away. You know I'm not going to pressure them or, or make them feel uncomfortable or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you turn to me and say, "Oh, this is really cool. I've been thinking about getting into martial arts. Where are you located?" Then I'll stop and I'll talk to you for a minute. Well, I'm located on Main Street in Collinsville. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, since you've been thinking about this. If, uh, if you give me your name and number when I get back to the office, I'll have my wife call you. She's, uh, she's my, my uh, program director, and we'll set you up with a little bit better deal uh, to get you in and, and, and let you try out classes just to see if it's something you like to do. And we'll collect a lead like that. Uh, my wife went out this weekend and uh, just in stores, she collected 20 leads. Yeah,
1: 20 leads just by, just by walking around yeah. in stores and just talking to people. Yeah, about three hours work. You know, I find this interesting because most martial arts school owners I've talked to, their biggest challenge is just getting leads, just getting people and finding people in their communities who are interested in perhaps taking martial arts classes with them. And we all know that you know a lead is not a new student. You've got to do more work than that. Once you get a lead, you have to do a lot more work to make sure that you maintain and that you actually end up getting that person as a student. I mean, we all know that. But the thing is, is that it's such a simple approach. And I've told some of my coaching clients about this in the past, I explained to him what VIPing is and, and how to go out and VIP because I've done it myself. And uh, I find that most martial arts instructors out there, they just want to hide behind their their desk and hide behind their their computer screen. And they don't want to get out in their community and talk to people. And yet, it's the simplest, easiest, and, well, I won't say easy, because it takes some work, but it's the simplest
2: and the cheapest form of advertising available. Yeah, it is. Uh, You know, you figure I could get 5,000 VIP passes for about $250. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are nice... Professional full color uh, VIP cards. Mm-hmm. From there, it's just simply getting getting past the discomfort of walking up to someone and talking to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I experienced that. You know, I'm I feel very comfortable out on the floor teaching people, but you know, going out in the community, it was tough. But after you've done it a few times, it, it's no longer a, a big deal. Uh, you know, just like you know, getting up and, and teaching your first martial arts class, you may be a little a little nervous, but you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Uh, my daughter just uh, just right before I I, I came uh, came here to visit you, Mike. Uh, I took her out. We we had a, a father daughter day. I do it with my son. I do it with my daughter once a week, and I took her out to get her nails done. and And she works uh, for me full time at the school. And she's sitting there getting her nails done, and she VIP'd uh, the lady next to her. And when the person in the who's doing the next person's nails next to her heard her talking to the lady next to her, mm-hmm. she VIP'd them too.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, I I think that's great, and it's funny too because it becomes almost natural. You know, I've, I've watched a couple of people who really masters at, at this method of collecting leads. And it's nothing more than really going out and just being friendly with people. You know, you're friendly with them, you start a conversation, you know, and then, you know, tell them, hey, you know, I run a martial arts school or I work at a martial arts school or I'm a martial arts instructor. And, you know, how about I give, just give you a free pass, you know, and, and, and you know, before you know it, you've got to lead. So it's really not complicated. And I think it's just is something that a lot of martial arts instructors are shy about. Yeah, I also I think that goes along with a lot of martial arts instructors tend to be shy about marketing, period. Because they don't want to be seen as somebody who's a huckster or somebody who's you know who's just interested in money, but yet you know the thing is, you know if you don't focus on making money in a business, you're not really running a business. You're you're you know exercising, um, you're <laughs> you're basically practicing your hobby. You right. know your martial arts school becomes a hobby, and you know your hobby is a hobby is not going to be profitable.
2: Yeah, you know it was uh, it was explained to me like this one time. You know, show me a business that doesn't do at least one sale a day. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and if if you're not, if you really want to make a difference in your community, and you really want to teach people to to uh, defend themselves, or if you really want to, to teach a character education to kids, or, or whatever your goal is for for your for your martial arts school, if you really want to affect people, uh, you have to you have to make enough money to to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. You're preaching the choir here, but okay, so. We know you like VIP uh, to VIP people to get leads. Tell me what are your other top two marketing methods right after that.
2: Uh, we, we do a lot of seminars and workshops. Uh, these are usually done during the day. And and that's kind of my job. My wife, although I do VIP people and my daughter VIPs people, uh, my main job is, is to go out and teach. So during the day, I do a lot of, Mops groups, uh, mothers of preschoolers, if someone isn't familiar with that. Uh, I do a lot of of lunchtime self-defense lectures for businesses, and they're so easy to get. Most businesses will love for you to come in at lunchtime and and just give a a safety lecture to their people. Uh, You know, so it's not even a physical self-defense class. I'm doing a 30-minute talk Mm -hmm. and then handing out passes for people. Mm-hmm. The last MOPS group I did, which was uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I ended up getting three enrollments off it for my three and four year program. Uh, one of the, those moms who uh, signed her son up for the, the three and four year pro- program, she was one of my six enrollments last week because she finally, after a few weeks, decided, wow, this probably our program, I really want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then my wife contacted me yesterday. She enrolled two days ago, and said, "Yeah, she decided she wanted to do fitness also. So she's gonna. Uh, she wants to, to know if she could try it out for a week before she she adds fitness onto her program. You know. So, uh, you know, things like this it's it my really my second uh, uh, stream uh, of income. And I'll do I'll do usually a few workshops per week like that.
1: So you just. Contact local businesses, set up these workshops, go in and talk to them, and yeah. you know you get leads from, generates leads. Okay, so so after that, after going out and doing uh, you know public workshops and, and public speaking, what would you say is your third best method of getting leads? Probably
2: Facebook. Okay. Uh, I do get uh, uh, several people, and, and I don't even do paid Facebook uh, campaigns, which uh, I, I need to to really get better educated on the, the whole internet marketing side of it. Mm-hmm. All, all I do is post things constantly that are happening at my school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always tell people if, if if I didn't have a business, I probably wouldn't have social media, but mm-hmm. I can't not have social media when, when I have a business. So I constantly every day just, uh, you know, post little things that, that's going on at my school, and my people share them, and I usually get a couple of, uh, uh, People a week that uh, message me in regards to that, which which translate to to usually uh, several enrollments a month.
1: Yeah, and and I will say because you're saying you get a you get a, a couple of leads each week from Facebook, and I know that the tendency of people hearing this out there, a lot of people, especially guys who are just starting schools or are trying to get their schools past say 50 or 75 or 100 students, I know the tendency is they're going to hear what you just said. And they're going to say, "Oh well, I'll just focus on Facebook first and get that going." <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I want to mention and I just want to point out here that uh, think about what Tom said before this—that he gets most of his leads from doing, uh, going out and, and VIPing people and using the VIP method, and then also doing public speaking and public appearances and so forth. And that that takes work to go out and do that. You actually have to go out and meet people and talk to people. So, it, you know. <laughs> Let me just point out, let me just make clear to those of you listening right now that are thinking, well, I'll just focus on social media because Tom does that, and that's one of his top three methods, so at least if I have one of the three, I'll be good. Don't do that. Go for the big fish. You know, if you have a martial arts school out there and you're struggling, you know, listen to what he just said and and, and use those first
2: two methods first. Yeah, and and I would not get those leads if I didn't have the number of students I have. That's a good point. Uh, Because my students share you know, my posts and comment on my posts so their friends see it. And that's the only way I do it. And, you know, even with the number of students I have doing that, my school would die within a year if I only focused on that. Yeah.
1: And, you know, what's interesting, too, is I think going out and just talking to people and meeting people, you know, which is the VIP and the public speaking method of getting leads, you know, it's a constantly renewable source of leads, You know that that source of getting leads is not going to dry up, you know, because social media is going to change eventually, just like Google changed. A lot of people who are relying on SEO, which, you know, I was, you know, everybody knows that I do SEO work for people and I'm getting away from doing it. Because it's changing so much, it's constantly in flux. You can't rely on it. I think social media is going to be the same way. Eventually, in a couple of years, it's going to switch, and something else is going to come along. And those people who put all their eggs in the social media basket are going to find that you know, in a couple of years, that that's going to dry up. And if they don't have these other methods that are predictable and uh, planable, I guess you should say that you can actually plan out and predict how many leads you're going to get based on the amount of money and effort and time that you put in. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be left holding the bag again on that. Okay, so we're coming up on time, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. I like to finish out uh, interviews with school owners with each time I interview someone. So let me ask you this one. If you had it to do all over again today, what would you change about how you got started? So in other words, what would you do differently?
2: With, with the way trends are going now, uh, adult martial arts is starting to become a lot bigger I would probably focus a little bit more on my adult martial arts programs, and uh, just have a, a couple of times for for kids slots. And that's just me personally uh, with with what I like to do, and and you know my passion for Krav Maga and and things like that. And, and again, you know the the adult martial arts industry is really taken off here in the last several years, and I see that is within the next decade get just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, the second thing is, I, I probably wouldn't be open six days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would take weekends off, but you know, it, you can't. What, once you have that set and you have a good number of students, if you then scale back, everyone feels like they're being cheated. Yeah, because. Days. Yeah,
1: yeah, you set that expectation, and then, you know, they'll want you, you. You cut back from like, you know, six days to five or five days to four, and they'll want you to lower their tuition. So, right. Yeah yeah I agree my second school I started off from the very beginning only teaching four days a week and it worked out fine for us and I charged just as much money as I, as I did my first actually more so yeah, yeah I, I hear that so if you had to do all over again today what would you do the same
2: the family environment mm-hmm. I would I would definitely keep the same um, the uh, variety that I have for people I would keep the same these are things that uh, that I believe have been the key to, to my success, uh, you know. And you know the the fact that uh, I, I I do uh, I promote myself as a, a Christian martial arts school, mm-hmm. and uh, and we are a Christian martial arts school. And I believe that uh, you know those values that uh, you know I can do everything right, and if God doesn't bless it, it's not going to grow. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, uh, you, you know, the, those, uh, the, the variety and family environment working together, uh, variety attracts more people and the family environment uh, makes them stay, makes them comfortable.
1: Okay, excellent. So, a um, couple of last things, uh, you know, last uh, uh, points of interest for the people out there that are listening. And I know personally that you travel a lot, you know, both to seek out training. I know you go to Israel, you've been to Israel three or four times to train over there and that you travel to different uh, places to seek out training, but also you travel a lot to conduct training for other martial arts school owners and associations. So if anybody wants to contact you, if somebody out there listening wanted to contact you for a seminar, for some training, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you?
2: Uh, they, could, uh, they can just email me uh, or, or uh, find me on Facebook, uh, uh, Premier Martial Arts Collinsville on Facebook, and uh, and contact me that way.
1: Okay, and uh, I'll I'll make sure I put in the show notes a way for you guys to you know links to uh, to Tom's social media pages so you guys can contact him in case you wanted to contact him for training. And any final words for our listeners out there before we end the the uh, the interview?
2: uh you know, for for a martial arts professional, uh, you know, I I would say to be humble and be open to. Uh, to different ways of thinking. Uh, but choose a direction for your school and stick with it. The, the biggest thing I've seen with, with guys who are uh, in the martial arts industry, and especially when it comes to marketing, is they, they try to take a, a piece of this here, a piece of this there, and a piece of that over here, and try to make it fit together when it, it's it's three separate uh, directions You know, for, for your school. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. Uh, but you have to choose a direction for your school and go with it. Uh, once you choose what kind of school you're going to be, uh, you know, then all your decisions need to be made along that line. I'm not going to start an XMA program at my school, not because I don't think it's good. I think it's a great source of income, but that's not the kind of school I am, yeah. you know, for example.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, a lot of people in the martial arts industry seem to get caught up in the shiny new object syndrome and... You know, every time some shiny new object comes along, something new that attracts their interest, it seems to be the latest hot thing, they go chasing after it. And uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I I, I agree with you too. Like, you know, based on the interviews I've done and people I've talked to um, over the last uh, you know two decades or so in the martial arts industry, I think you're spot on there with the you know choosing an identity for your school, choosing a direction you want to go with your school, and stick with it. You know, and uh, yeah, I think those are I think those are wise words. Okay, so we're going to close out the interview now because uh, we're definitely coming up on time. And, uh, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Also, thank you for the
2: training and uh, for the bumps and bruises as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks for for having me out and giving me an an invite to uh, talk to your listeners. Uh, uh, You know, we've been great friends since high school and... uh, uh, I've had a, a really good time uh, working with your people and the other instructors this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think everybody enjoyed you coming out and teaching us, and, and I thought it was a good weekend of training. So uh, hopefully you guys out there listening will get a lot out of uh, listening to this interview. I think, Tom, you know, I think you dropped some knowledge bombs here that, and, that uh, some of you guys can benefit from. And, and of course, you know, if Tom comes back down for more training in the future, uh, maybe I'll bring him back on the show for another interview and, and uh, talk about, uh, you know, maybe some specific topics of, uh, of interest to those of you out there. So... Uh, you know, be sure to comment on the podcast page for this episode. This is going to be episode 33. Uh, comment on the podcast page on the website at martial Let me know if there's any special topics or anything of interest that you picked up in this interview that you would want me to interview Tom over or talk, uh, you know, more detail about in future episodes. All right, Tom, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody out there, stay tuned because coming up next is the tip of the week.
0: The tip of the week. It's time for our featured Martial Arts Business Tip of the Week. For more great tips, be sure to visit MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's Martial Arts Business books and courses. Now, here's your Martial Arts Business Tip of the Week.
1: All right, so the tip of the week this week, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about something that Tom mentioned in the uh, podcast interview that you just listened to that I think is so, so important, and it is being prepared, prepared to meet people in your community and to introduce them or invite them to your martial arts studio. Now, a lot of martial arts school owners run around during their daily lives, and they don't even think about... Introducing other people to the martial arts studio, or inviting them to take classes, or or how they can uh, you know do certain things. It can be an icebreaker to to uh, to you know opening up a conversation with someone about their martial arts studio and inviting them. Simply because I know a lot of you out there are embarrassed to sell your programs. And that's something I've talked about in previous podcasts. I've, I've uh, written about it on my blog at length about how, you know, if you're embarrassed about your own business, then you shouldn't be in business at all. Um, and that selling is not evil. It's uh, selling through lies and deception is evil, but uh, selling honestly is not evil, especially when you have a product that you believe in. So if you don't believe in your own product, which is, you you know, teaching martial arts classes, the martial arts classes that you teach. If you don't believe in that product enough to go out and tell people about it and believe that you need to share it with other people because it's a life changing experience or it will be a life changing experience for them, you're in the wrong line of work. You need to find another line of work. You know, go sell vacuum cleaners or something or, or, you know, go get a job at the local factory. I don't know, whatever. But, you don't need to be teaching martial arts if, if you can't believe in yourself and in your own programs enough to go out and sell them. Okay. Enough on that. So how do we prepare ourselves for going out in the community, doing our, you know, daily activities of living as you will, um, in order to be able to break the ice with people. Well, the first thing is, is we have to dress the part. Now, I'm not saying I want you to be one of these bozos out there that walk around in their martial arts uniform with their black belt on all day. I think that's ridiculous. Um, I think it, it cheapens the image of the martial arts, and uh, it's just plain cheesy. But you should dress the part in the sense that you should be wearing um, you know, some sort of you know clothing or something that has your school logo or has something about martial arts on it as you go about your daily business before you know you start your classes or before you head to the martial arts school or when you're running errands or whatever. So, you know, at minimum you want to look neat, clean, and professional. So you want to make sure you're well groomed. That's the first thing. Make sure that If uh, you've just finished a workout and you've got to run to the store really quickly, um, you know that you keep something in your bathroom at the martial arts studio uh, to clean yourself up to make sure that you don't go walking around smelling like a gym. And uh, make sure you're clean shaven and so forth if you're guys and and whatnot. Um, Ladies, I usually don't have to talk to you about this because ladies are much better about keeping themselves put together than guys are. But for guys, I have to discuss this a lot with my clients. So the number one thing is make sure that you're well-groomed. The second thing is, is that you want to wear clothing that has your school logo or something on it. And not just, you know, a t-shirt with a school logo over the pocket or something like that. You need something that's going to attract attention. Um, I had one particular person who was struggling in their school and uh, they thought they were going to have to shut their doors down. And so I did some private coaching with them and I told them to get some t-shirts made with, you know, a big logo on it that looks like the Got Milk logo. But I told them to put, you know, free martial arts lessons on there. And then on the back, ask me how. And I told him, I said, just put this T-shirt on that says free martial arts lessons or, you know, free jujitsu or whatever you teach and put on the back, ask me how, you know, or put the same thing, free martial arts lessons, ask me how on the front and the back. And just wear that all day long while you're doing your, your daily activities, you know, your, your chores or, or your, uh, you know, errands, I should say, uh, running about town and see what happens. And sure enough, it ended up being an icebreaker and allowed him to invite a lot of people into a studio and to get enough people in to uh, to be able to pay the rent and stay in a studio. So, so the thing is, you need something like that. You need something that you know, some sort of you know, item of clothing that's going to be an icebreaker. Now, um, it might be an, art, an an item of clothing or article clothing that has some sort of saying on it, something catchy, whatever. It just needs to be something that's eye-catching and that's not really cheesy. Okay, so that's the second thing. The third thing is is you need to be prepared with guest passes. You need to have some way to give that person something that they can carry and take with them after your conversation to remind them of your invitation and so they can know how to follow up. Now, I've covered how to design guest passes at length both on. The blog. I, I have some free material there. And then also in MABusyU.com, I have extensive information on that as well. So yeah, I'm not going to go into the details of you know how to design a guest pass or what goes into it. If you want that information, go dig it up on my blog at MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com or join mabizu.com, Get involved in the Facebook group and ask questions and I'll be happy to answer them for you. But those are the three things. You need to be well-groomed, you need to be wearing you know clothing that that uh, you know, says that you 're a martial arts instructor or a martial arts school owner, and you need to be prepared with guest passes okay so and then you know the other thing is is you need to be practiced at small talk with people at making small talk at uh, you know, conversation openers and so forth and if you 're not good at that or you, you find it difficult to speak to people or deal with people. I suggest a couple of things to you. The first one is is that you might want to join a Toastmasters group in your local area. Not only is it a good way to network, but also it will help you immensely in your public speaking skills. The second thing I would suggest is that you get a book and you read it and you put it to use and that is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Read that book and just put the material in there to use. It's it's a very inexpensive book because it's been around for a long time. I think it might even be in the public domain right now. Um, but uh, it's a really good book, and it will help you tremendously in learning how to just open up conversations with people and how to influence people in such a way to where they feel comfortable around you and uh, to help make you an influencer in your local community. Okay, so that's it. And then uh, you know the final thing always is, actually implementing the uh, (laughs) whatever you learn. So if you heard about something new on the show today, you know how to go out and invite people to your school through uh, using the VIP method, you know, don't just sit on it, go out and start using it, you know, try it out. And, uh, you know, you got to kind of be careful about it. You got to be subtle. You don't want to be obnoxious. So, you know, you're getting kicked out of grocery stores and Walmart and places like that. But if you're subtle about it and, and you know what you're doing, then you're going to be okay with this and you're going to invite a lot of people to your school. You're going to get a lot of leads and uh, you're going to fill up your intro classes for the week. So, so get out there and start doing it. Okay, so that's it for this week's edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the show, for supporting the show. And uh, also, uh, I want to invite you to try out com if you haven't yet, simply because I feel like it is uh, for the money. It gives you the biggest bang for the buck as far as martial arts business information, the type of information that school learners need to grow their school. And also, it is definitely by far the least expensive way for you to get coaching by me personally, to get some sort of personal coaching. And of course, it's in a, it's in a group setting in our Facebook group, but um, I'm in there every day answering questions and the information that you get you know it's it's high value it's stuff that can really make a difference in your school so so i want to invite you to uh, check it out just go to m a b i z u m i b i z u.com and uh, just take the trial. There's a trial there. Um, if you you know try it out for, I think it's a week that I give you. You know try it out for a week, and you decide it's not for you. Just let me know, and I'll refund your money. Okay, so that's it. Enough with the pitch. I hope you have a good week in your martial arts studio, and I'll be back next week with uh, with a uh, a podcast uh, version of an article that I wrote that I, I think you're going to enjoy. So. Uh, You know, keep an eye on your email inbox and on uh, social media for that. All right, that's it. I'm signing off, and I will talk to you soon in another edition of the podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Massey. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from martialartsbusinessdaily.com.